Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we take a deeper look at employment in BC, which has had the hottest labor market in the country, as well as the country's lowest unemployment rate. And later on, how real estate markets outside of Vancouver proper are performing. First, BIV is accepting nominations for a number of awards programs. These include the BC CEO Awards, Influential Women in Business, and 40 Under 40. You can also have until this Friday to nominate Chief Technology and Innovation Officers for our inaugural BCCTO Awards. For more information and to nominate someone, visit BIV.com events. At 4.5% this June, BC's unemployment rate remains the lowest in the country. The tight job market has brought about wage growth. It did last year for sure, but it's also brought about some challenges as well. Ken Peacock is the chief economist at the Business Council of British Columbia. He joins me now on the line with insight into the province's labor market. Ken, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Good to be with you. Thanks. How would you characterize the first half of 2019 from a BC labor market perspective? Oh, it's a good, uh, yeah. 2019, job growth has been strong. It, uh, it slowed down a little bit in 2018, but I would say conditions remain very healthy in, in BC's job market. You identified the lowest unemployment rate in the country, which is true. It's down from an average of about 4.9% last year, so it continues to trend lower. And along with that low unemployment rate, and I think you were alluding to it in your comments in the beginning, some of the challenges, and that relates to employers trying to find people to, to fill positions. And so if you look at the vacancy rate, that is the number of jobs that are open as a share of total employment in the province, uh, BC's is very high. It's running between 4.5 and 4.7%, and, you know, not quite twice what you see at the national level, but it but it's close. So that, that definitely does create some challenges for employers. And where might those employers look if they want to fill those gaps? I know traditionally for certain industries, we maybe expect employees coming from Alberta. You can also maybe think of immigration, but how good are the options that are available? Yeah, it's, it's challenging. The, uh, the Alberta option is, doesn't seem to be quite as uh, fruitful as it was in the past. And I say that just by looking at migration patterns, the number of people moving to Alberta from B.C., and the number of people going from BC to Alberta, the, the flow is actually more towards Alberta than, than towards BC, which is a bit unusual given how strong our job market is. But I think you've got considerations, and we've talked about it in the past, you know, related to housing, high housing costs, and some of these other challenges. Um, the immigration piece that you mentioned, absolutely, immigration is playing a big role in the job market today. If you look at national figures, um, a, a large proportion of positions that have been filled are, are linked to relatively new uh, immigrants or maybe immigrants that have been here five or six or seven years. So absolutely a key role. And I think the uh, Trudeau government is sort of keyed in on that. And uh, that's one of the reasons that they're looking to ramp up immigration in, in the coming years. Mm. It might be a bit of a tricky thing for employers, but for employees, last year, hourly wages were up, which was a good thing. Have we seen that trend continue for 2019 or has it moderated a little bit? It, it's, uh, it's, written, it's interesting. It has moderated and it's a, it's a little puzzling why. Um, wage growth was unusually strong in 2018. It was about the first half of 2018 and the latter part of 2017. 
But uh, in the first half of this year, it seems to have slowed down a little bit. Um, and again, this is a little bit counterintuitive, not entirely sure why, given the tight job market conditions. But uh, part of it might just be, you know, on average wages last year were up in the 4 to 5% range, which, which is very strong. Typically, we see wage growth. One and a half to two and a half percent, kind of the, the average wage growth across the economy. So for it to be uh, up at a rate twice as high as normal, some retrenchment is, is perhaps not too surprising, but again, a little perplexing given the high vacancy rate. Because if you're looking to fill a job, I'm one of the first things options available to you is just in, increase the wage that you're offering, and perhaps you can attract more people. But uh, so far, we're seeing wage growth in BC. Again, this is the across industry average. About one one and a half percent, so a little a little bit slower, but you know, not 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 dire and not not zero. Could it be a, a result of affordability challenges at the business level? Maybe not being able to pay employees that much more could that be a consideration? I th- I think I think that's a great point. I do think it's a consideration. You look at some of the costs that employers have had to absorb recently. The employer health tax put comes to mind most significantly. That was a fairly substantial hit. Um, it replaced the medical services premium. And as most of your listeners will be aware, businesses, many businesses paid MSP premiums for their employees. So not too much of a hit for them, although I think the, on balance, the employer's health tax is higher for most businesses. But if you were a company that was not paying MSP, you, you absolutely feel that hit because you have no choice now but to pay, pay the employer health tax. And it was a bit of a sleeper. I, I think uh, some businesses were kind of caught off guard. They heard about it, but they didn't really understand how much the costs were going to be associated with that tax until they started getting the bills in January <laughs> this year. So I think that that's a good point. Um, you know, taxes are up a little bit. Corporate income tax is up a couple points over the last four or five years. Carbon tax is rising. Property taxes, I, I you know, anecdotally, we look around um, Vancouver and other parts of the region and, you know, property taxes are becoming a big issue just because of high property values. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear many anecdotes of smaller companies and smaller businesses saying we, we just can't do it anymore. We just can't make it work. So, no, I think that's a great point. That there are some cost pressures and cost squeezes on the other side there. Mm-hmm. After lots of gains in terms of job growth in 2019, we actually saw a net job loss in June and driving that were losses of full-time positions, according to Stats Canada. What yep. does that indicate to you? How do you interpret that? Um, and ter- so my, my first sort of reaction to that is month-to-month numbers can be volatile. And so we need to look at three, four, five months to get a sense of what's going on. Um, sometimes these labor force survey results do, do jump around and they're, again, not consistent with recent trends. So if you look at the recent trend over the past five or six months, it has been for strong job growth. I would interpret the June number that you just referenced as a bit of a pause, given, given the strength, the underlying strength that we did have. Uh, and the part-time question is, it is interesting. There's been much stronger job growth in the part-time <clears throat> excuse me, segment of the job market this year. But that wasn't the case last year. Last year, if you look at the entire year, full-time employment was the stronger and, and more robust source of job growth. So we're seeing a little bit of a swing more towards part-time. And if you break it down a bit more, it's really male part-time employment that has seen big, big gains so far this year. Uh, again, it could be related uh, to what we were talking about a moment ago, just cost considerations, employers you know, taking people on on a part-time basis rather than a full-time basis. And I know a lot of people, they get concerned about 
like sort of job quality and whether the jobs are good enough. And there's a sense that part-time jobs aren't necessarily as high quality as full-time jobs. I think we need to dig into that a little bit more. It's not clear to me that in some circumstances, people don't want to have a part-time job just for lifestyle reasons. Uh, of course, there is the other consideration that people are taking on a second job and that's a part-time job just to make affordability work. So right. it's, uh, it, I think there's a lot of factors and considerations at play when you start trying to dissect the part-time, full-time difference. But uh, yeah, no, you're right. Part-time has been stronger. So it's something we're watching closely. How long can we hover here with a really tight labor market, a low unemployment rate, some moderation in terms of wage growth? Does something have to give or could we find ourselves in this position for months? We could we could find ourselves in this position for much. I I expect job growth to slow down a little bit. Uh, this three three and a half percent pace leading the country. Uh, I think we're BC's position to continue to lead the country just in terms of economic growth and job growth. But the differences I don't think are going to be as great as, as we have seen. And a few of the reasons I, I say I expect some moderation in employment growth overall is just because we're starting to see some softening. If you look at the goods industries in particular, mining and forestry, there's been some retrenchment in the number of jobs in those industries. And then the manufacturing sector as well has seen a little bit of a pullback and a fall off in jobs. And previous years, it was actually a source of strength and job growth. And even in construction, I was just looking at the numbers a few minutes before we got on here, and even construction has seen some moderate, slight job declines as well. And again, if you look at the past four or five years, construction was on a tear. So those jobs are not going to contribute in the same way they have. And then uh, looking regionally, not surprising what I just described, in some other regions, the Caribou and other northern parts of the province, you've seen employment growth slow as well. And then finally, you know, the uh, tourism sector has been doing really, really well. Low dollar, uh, the U.S. economy, uh, reasonably strong. We're seeing a lot of tourists flowing into D.C. But uh, again, I was just looking at some numbers last week, and you're starting to see the number of tourists coming into the province, both from the U.S. and from other countries, level off. And the uh, rates, some of the rates, you've seen some softening in rates, what hotels are charging. So I look at that and I just see some signs that tourism is slowing and that's been a source of job growth as well. So I do expect some moderation in the second half of the year and into 2020. Mm. We've also spoken before about threats to trade here in Canada and what that might mean for our provincial economy as well as national economy. Is that still a concern given everything that's ongoing between Canada and China, Canada, the U.S., Canada and the rest of the world? It's Yeah, it is definitely still a concern. It seems to be this kind of cloud that's hanging over the whole trade sector and the whole trade picture. Uh, particularly just with the president, president Trump south of the border likes to shake things up uh, regularly. But I think for the most part, uh, we will be okay here in British Columbia. Yes, but any tariffs that are imposed do, do hinder and hamper uh, our exporting activity and hurt uh, companies that are exporting. But for the most part, I wouldn't, I'm not able to identify any sort of big impacts on the on the BC economy specifically. But no doubt, as, as you suggested, I mean, it's this, it's this unknown and this uncertainty out there that's creating problems. And it's, it, it's actually sort of a global problem. It's weighing on the whole global trade picture, and we're just caught up in it. Uncertainty seems to be kind of the new certainty. It's the new normal, it seems like. It is. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, as always, great having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Annie. That's Ken Peacock, Chief Economist at the Business Council of British Columbia.
A lack of affordable housing options in Vancouver has pushed many people to consider housing options outside of the city. Jason Turcott is the Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group. He joins the show every two weeks to talk real estate. And today we're going to take a look at what's happening in some of the municipalities that surround the city of Vancouver. Jason, as always, great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's start with Surrey, which honestly seems to look a little bit different every time I drive through it. As Vancouver's housing market was heating up and going a little bit crazy over the last few years, what was the story in the city of Surrey? Well, it's kind of the same. I mean, it was it was also experiencing uh, um, you know tremendous uh, sales volumes and and um, uh, price escalation. You know, it's it's sort of different stratospheres in terms of pricing, but. Um, they were not immune at all to to the challenges of affordability and uh, continue to have those challenges. Now, the 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 one you know the stark difference I would say in uh, in a municipality like Surrey is uh, their ability to supply is considerably better. You know, they have uh, a lot more land, a lot more area, uh, a lot more under undeveloped or underdeveloped property, um, and so the uh, you know the the, the the upward pressure is tempered a little bit by the, the city's ability to supply its own demand. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious because Surrey, of course, has agricultural land reserve to deal with. How difficult is it to actually bring projects to market in that city despite the demand, not only for affordable housing, but also population growth that the city's seeing? Yeah, well, Surrey is obviously a very, a very big place and a very diverse place. And, and, uh, has um, a multitude of different neighborhoods, and, and um, so their planning needs and, and, and the development that happens in the city are, are quite diverse. And uh, um, what we saw was was a quite a significant change at the um, uh, municipal government level in the election in, the, in last fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a new mayor and significant uh, change on council as well. So we did see a really uh, um, tentative uh, start to the year um, in terms of. I think, you know, the staff there uh, getting a feel on, you know, where council was headed. There were certainly um, certain council members or a large, a large number of them actually that ran on the sort of notion of um, sensible development. I won't say anti-development, but, uh, you know, the, I think that the city has, has seen a, a tremendous amount of change as most places have. And, you know, um, very common issues amongst all, you know, uh, uh, municipalities and that were a big uh, focus in the platforms of all the um, local government elections were, you know, things like growth and transportation and traffic and, you know, what what's going to happen with all that. So I, I do think now, um, you know, we're active there in Surrey with uh, a fairly significant land holding in South Surrey. And uh, what we've got happening now, I think, is a, a bit more um, understanding of where council's at and where their priorities are going to be. And, and staff now seems to have a grasp on that. And things are kind of rolling again. But there was certainly a period of six or seven or eight months where I think there was a, uh, you know, a, a bit of tentative um, decision making happening at both council level and then, you know, at the, at the staff level as well. Interesting. So what what then is considered sensible development at this point? Well, it really, that depends a lot on where you are. So, you know, if you focus more on sort of what we'll call the urban core of Surrey, you know, that's that's more of the uh, Surrey city center or the you know, Wally area, depending on how old you are and what you refer to that neighborhood as. Um, 
so there's 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 been a pretty strong and maintained push to to continue to develop those areas. So that's 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 high density development around transit. That's the trend that we've seen um, really emerge in, in the last uh, ten years. You know, Burnaby sort of got the jump on all that, but the other municipalities uh, since the introduction of rapid transit to those communities have really embraced that. And Surrey's no different. There's been a really um, tremendous amount of growth around the, the stations in um, Surrey City Centre, and that neighbourhood has changed a lot. And so that's that's a, a type of development that makes a lot of sense, but meets one need of of, of that marketplace. You know, other needs, um, and I said this to um, both staff and and some of the um, councillors in Surrey is that Surrey has a really interesting role to play in Metro Vancouver, and that they are sort of the the primary supplier of front doors. And what I mean by that is. Uh, there are few municipalities left that can supply a meaningful amount of townhome and single-family homes, and you know a large degree that happens in the south part of the city, in South Surrey and you know Grandview Heights areas, um, and and in those areas, you know that's where a lot of the change is being felt and the traffic, et cetera. So what they're really looking for there um, is sensible solutions uh, to transportation traffic and also infrastructure a lot of those areas are developing in what were what we call greenfield sites meaning that they're existing uh you know either agricultural outside of the alr of course or or hobby farm type areas or large uh, acreage properties and so the servicing impacts of those meaning bringing in new sewer and water and how that all gets handled is is a is a major uh uh, discussion point and making sure that it's done in a logical and systematic way so that both financially it makes sense for the city and and just sort of practically speaking we don't have um, you know new infrastructure projects that sort of are are, uh, are happening at multiple different places all over the place which of course impacts traffic and transportation as mm-hmm. well. I know the previous municipal government as well as local boards of trade have talked a lot about turning Surrey into a place not just where you can live with all of those front doors, but also a place where you can work and a place where there's recreational options, activities, things to do for fun. How far do you think the city's really evolved in offering kind of all of the things one might consider when deciding where to live? Well, I think it's done a, a really remarkable job, actually. I mean, the the amenities in in Surrey, in terms of park and recreation center, I would suggest are almost second to none. Mm. Um, there, there's a tremendous amount of of athletic recreational facilities, you know, being uh, uh, hockey rinks and uh, baseball fields, et cetera. Um, and it's always been fairly amenity rich in that regard. Uh, and then there's been construction of some new ones, and there's certainly some areas, uh, older areas of Surrey, like Cloverdale, that are in, in need of uh, some rejuvenation. But I think on a whole, um, the added amenities have been, have been, um, I, I think, a tremendous benefit to existing uh, homeowners and and, uh, and uh, residents of Surrey. Uh, and then there's been a real concerted effort on the employment generation side as well. And some of that is happening, like I said, in the urban area and the city center. Um, there's been a few new office buildings added there. We are starting to see uh, that some of the um, some major tenants are looking for space there. Uh, you know, being closer to where their people live is certainly something that I think a lot of businesses are starting to consider now that uh, long commutes are a deterrent. Um, so we're seeing some growth there. And, uh, you know, sort of a, the the less sexy uh, growth of employment is is possibly sort of in the center of Surrey. And there's been a, a, a real growth in light industrial, industrial uh, you know, warehouse and distribution center type uh, employment uh, facilities uh, in the Campbell Heights and sort of in the middle of, of, of the city. 
there's been a major, major amount of, of new uh, light industrial and industrial um, uh, space built, and that's uh, those are those are good jobs. That's that's great for the economy, and there's been a um, you know a real a real increase in that in the last ten or fifteen years. By the way, I, I did grow up when it was called Wally, so I always think of that in my mind with the new branding. But I think the new branding is in part an effort to maybe move away from the past of what was a pretty rough area and there's still to be fair some challenges in parts of Surrey but the branding helps yeah for sure moving on to another jurisdiction Coquitlam has also seen quite a bit of activity what are you noticing there in terms of development well what we're seeing there is you know really what what's happened is the is the evergreen life uh for years it was uh it was talked about and it was talked about and we saw sort of uh, little spurts of, of development activity as, 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 as developers, including ourselves, anticipated that it would be coming. Uh, but now that it's actually there and, um, and operational, I think everybody has faith that, uh, you know, ridership's high. And um, Coquitlam has really been able to wrap its arms around its commitment to meeting regional growth. And I, I should mention um, a large part of, you know, why we see these, uh, these areas of growth around, you know, specifically rapid transit nodes, you know, Burnaby, Coquitlam, Surrey, um, and, and even into Richmond, is, is these municipalities have all adopted and have, have bought into uh, the Metro Vancouver Regional Growth Strategy. And that strategy basically lays out at a very high level how we are going to grow as a region. And one of the major, uh, you know, ways that the, that the cities are meeting their individual targets, and they've sort of all said, okay, we'll meet X number of percentages of that growth are by densifying around rapid transit. So that's why we are seeing this trend. That's why, uh, you know, for instance, Coquitlam has put in place, you know, high density plans up the uh, uh, North Road corridor and, and into their town center, where we've seen, you know, new high rises popping up all over the place. They're, they're, they're looking to meet their growth targets uh, to the, to the uh, regional growth strategy by, by densifying around those nodes and, and it's working. Has there been any resistance to that densification? There always is. I would say, you know, if you're, you know, relatively speaking, um, I think Coquitlam has been quite receptive, both at um, sort of the, sort of the as the approving authority and as the community. There's, I think there's been a, a ton of change in the North Road corridor specifically, and some of the residents for sure, you know, in some of those locations, you do get close to single family areas. And that's always the tricky balance. You know, when you, when you start introducing high density near single family neighborhoods, that tends to be where people get a little a little uh, sensitive to densification. So um, I think there's been a, a few a few projects that have seen, you know, a little bit of pushback, but on, on, on balance, I would say that uh, the community of Coquitlam has been very receptive uh, and has, has recognized that with that new development comes some really good benefits, new, you know, new community centers, new shopping, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not all bad. And I think uh, generally speaking, it's, uh, it's been pretty good there. You mentioned rapid transit, obviously a big draw and consideration for people. You also don't need to cross a bridge or go through a tunnel. And I wonder if that maybe is a, a point or in favor for Coquitlam over Surrey when it comes to how people are making decisions around housing. Yeah, it could be. It could be a, a little different environment there, too. I mean, uh, depending on where you are in Coquitlam, Coquitlam really likes to celebrate its proximity to the mountains and uh, sort of that outdoor lifestyle, too. So I'm sure that there's um, there's uh, elements of that at play, and there's also a cultural element too. There, there's there's these lingering, and it's surprising that as, that in you know 2019 it's as prevalent as it is. But you do have a 
a strong um, ethnic base in one community versus the other, and it tends to attract potentially uh, more from those particular uh, countries. If you have new immigrants coming, they tend to go to those locations. So, you know, Coquitlam's got a very, uh, a very um, large uh, Korean population, for example, in that North Road corridor. And we continue to see strong interest from new Korean immigrants in, into that neighborhood. Whereas, you know, Surrey, we certainly have a very large Indo-Canadian base there. And the same trend happens again there. So it's, it's interesting that it still happens, but it does. Culture uh, certainly plays a role as well. Mm-hmm. The final area I wanted to focus on is Richmond, not really an area that's considered affordable. What's happened in that market? Have we seen a bit of a cool down? I think so. It's It's been much the same as, as everywhere. You know, uh, I think Richmond might have seen a little bit more of a cool down. It might be a little bit more in the trend line of, say, Burnaby. What we have noticed is the further you go east, meaning, you know, the, the, the more affordable, I put air quotes around that, you can't see it, of course, on the phone, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the more affordable regions have actually seen very little in terms of price change. You know, I was looking at the numbers the other day from the Fraser Valley Board, and although, yes, sales have dropped down in terms of volume, but pricing is actually up a hair, you know, in most categories, you know, very marginally. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's held. And, and in more urban and, you know, sort of higher priced markets, we've seen those prices uh, come off, um, you know, in some cases significantly. Richmond would be somewhere in the middle, and I would, I would, put it sort of in the category of Burnaby, um, you know, a very vibrant urban community. A lot of, uh, of their new housing stock is in the, you know, uh, a multifamily form. Uh, and it's, again, it's much uh, the same as Burnaby. It's, it's up and down the transit corridors, number three road, um, you know, all the way down to the, you know, where it terminates at Brighouse. There's just been, uh, you know, an incredible amount of new multifamily and uh, at the moment, what we've seen is that those, those volumes have slowed down. So the projects are slowing. And of course, there's been some relaxation as pr- on price as well. Yeah, I wonder about that, this because there's that theory that if we see a big cool down or correction in Vancouver or West Vancouver, that that's going to trickle out to all of these other areas that have seen price hikes. But I'm not sure that's actually going to happen because you have so many people waiting on the sidelines. And if it's an entry level kind of housing like a condo, something in a multifamily dwelling, at every potential price decrease, there's potentially someone who's finally able to, at $10,000 less or whatever it is, get back into the market. So I'm curious to see longer term if we see any kind of correction in areas like Surrey or Coquitlam. What are your thoughts? Well, we, we touched on this, you know, when we talked about what were the impacts going to be of all these, you know, all these uh, policy measures and changes at government levels. And uh, one of the things I, I, I recall you and I discussing was what the potential impact of the stress test. And yeah. I think at the time I had suggested that, um, that what could potentially happen is you just put a, a bigger pool of buyers into the more affordable markets. And I do think that that is, is in some ways what has happened. It has pushed um, you know, it is sort of taken if you if you could just shift everybody, you know, a marketplace more affordable because they had to in order to make the stress tests uh, uh, to meet the stress test. It's placed more uh, more demand or more buyers into into the uh, the next pool of of the marketplace, and so I think that's why we've seen prices hold uh, the further you go east. Um, and uh, you know, and I think the you know, the markets like West Vancouver and Vancouver, when we look at those adjustments, those price adjustments, we're always looking at average numbers. So if you were to actually look at the the price change, the average price change in say, let's just pick a number, you know, the $5 million plus market, it's probably way bigger. I mean, it's so disproportionate to say the price adjustment at the 
at the lower 25% of even a market like Vancouver. It is skewing the averages quite significantly because there, there, there uh, are so many um, disincentives for everybody to buy expensive real estate. You know, you've got, certainly if you're a foreigner, you've got, you've got tax and then on a bigger number, it's a, it's a bigger tax bill. And you've got things like additional school tax, you know, and if it happens to not be your primary residence, now you're paying. Now you're, there's so many disincentives for people to buy, you know, additional property transfer tax, even even for for, for Canadian residents. Um, so this just it just completely cut the tap off at that high end, and um, you know, and, and the filter down effect is of course that it does bring prices down, but it's also pushing people eastward in their buying decisions. Jason, as always, great having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Always my pleasure. That's Jason Turcott, Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio. For more business news, visit BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 